<laughs> What's up? Good morning, Arbor. How are we? Doing okay? My name's Ryan. If you're new or visiting here, I am the lead pastor. So good to see all of you here uh, today. If you have your Bibles, you can go ahead and get those out and turn to Philippians. We are in a multi-week study of Paul's letter to the Philippians. We are in chapter 3 right now. You can go ahead and open those up and turn there right now. I want to ask all of you a quick question, though. Anyone here in this room planning on traveling outside of the country anytime soon? Anyone? Anyone? Where are you guys planning on going? Mexico, awesome. Anyone over here planning on traveling outside the country? Uh, back there, where are you going? Australia. Awesome. What? Are you really? Come on, really? Awesome. If you're traveling outside the country, you're going to need one of these, which is a? A passport. Exactly. You cannot just walk from one border of the country or from one part of the country to another country and just walk right in, right? Someone's going to stop you and they're going to say, hey, please, can I see your passport? Or they're going to tackle you or something worse, right? You need this in order to get from one country to another. And this indicates where you're from and the rights and the privileges that you have as a citizen of a specific country country. When you arrive at an airport, uh, oftentimes you'll see there are two separate lines, one for citizens and one for non-citizens, because citizens in countries have certain rights. They have certain privileges. Now, let's say you aren't a citizen of this country, but you'd like to become a citizen of this country. There is a process whereby you can do that and become a naturalized citizen of the United States of America, like my friend Jeff Stamler did recently. Give it up for Jeff Stamler back there in the sound booth. He became a citizen recently. You can do that by becoming what's called a naturalized American citizen. You can go through this process, and at the very end of that process, you swear this oath in public, and part of this oath goes like this. It says, I hereby declare on oath that I absolutely and entirely renounce and abjure all allegiance and fidelity to any foreign prince, potentate, which I don't know what that means at all, but whatever, state or sovereignty of whom or which I have heretofore been a subject or citizen that I will support and defend the constitution and laws of the United States of America against all enemies, foreign and domestic, that I will bear true faith and allegiance to the same and that I take this obligation freely without any mental reservation or purpose of evasion. So help me God, okay? Jeff, did you have to say that? Yes. See, Jeff had to say that. You have to do that. So though you may be born elsewhere, you can become a citizen of this country by choice and by oath. But listen, by becoming a citizen of this country, you hereby become a foreigner of every other country. Of course, there are exceptions to this. You can be what's known as a dual citizen, although this sort of thing is, is a recent thing, uh, only available really since the middle of the 20th century. But by and large, listen, for the longest time, becoming a citizen of a specific country meant that you became a foreigner of every other country. Now, why do I share that? Why, why did I give you all of that information? Well, here's why I share all of that. When you place your faith and trust in Jesus Christ and you make the decision by choice and by oath to become a disciple, a follower of Jesus Christ, listen, you become a citizen of a place. You become a citizen of another country. You become a citizen of the kingdom of heaven. 
It's an incredible gift that you're given as a follower of Jesus Christ. But listen, that's not all that happens when you place your faith and trust in Jesus. Listen, you also become a foreigner to every other place and country. Even this beautiful, wonderful country of ours, every other kingdom in this world, when you're a follower of Jesus Christ, your primary allegiance and citizenship is in the kingdom of heaven. And as we continue to move through Philippians and learn Paul's secret to joy, I think one thing that we'll see and understand in the life of Paul is that living into our true identities as citizens of the kingdom of heaven is absolutely essential to our experience of real, resilient joy, the joy that we're after, what we've been defining as a supernatural delight in the people and in the promises and in the presence of God. In fact, I would say that that one of our deep misunderstandings and the reason why we don't experience deep, resilient joy is, is because we, um, we, we misunderstand where our primary citizenship is, our primary allegiance to, to the wrong kingdom. And so if you have your Bibles, go ahead and get those out right now. Open to Philippians, Philippians chapter three. We're gonna be in Philippians starting three, verse 15. So thankful for Pastor Allison and the word that she brought last week. In Christ alone, our, our joy is found. Not in any asset, not in any, anything that we have. Those things become liabilities. In fact, what did Allison call those things last week? Poo, yeah. <laughs> she called them poo. They are dung. They are to be thrown out. They are liabilities, Coach Paul told us to continue on, to press on, to leave those things behind. He wrote in verse 13, if you're looking there right now, he said, forgetting these things that are behind and reaching out for the things that are ahead, with this goal in mind, I strive toward the prize of the upward call of God in Christ. And then in verse 15, he writes this, listen. He says, therefore, let those of us who are perfect Embrace this point of view. If you think otherwise, God will reveal to you the error of your ways. So this right here is the beginning of the next section that we're gonna be studying right now this morning. And essentially, it answers the, the so what question. The so what in response to Paul's call on our life to live an upward call of God in Jesus Christ. Remember, last week, if you can already, Paul has specifically clarified that he is not perfect, that he has not already arrived. But notice again what he writes here in verse 15. Look there again. He says, therefore, let those of us who are perfect embrace this point of view. And so anyone in this room, would you claim to be perfect? Anyone here? Would you claim to be perfect? Why does Paul say, let those of us who are perfect? The NIV, it translates it this way. It says, all of us then who are mature. And the NASB translates it this way. Let, therefore, let those of us who are mature have this attitude. But listen, I like this NET translation where perfect is in the quotation marks here because I think right here Paul is being a little cheeky, all right? I think Paul is, is being a little cheeky here. He's essentially saying, after he's already very clearly said a couple times, I'm not perfect, I've not yet arrived, that anyone reading or listening to this letter who thinks they've already arrived, would God change their heart? Would God change their attitude? Would they adjust their point of view and their attitude to Paul's point of view, to Paul's 
attitude here? And would they think more like Paul about their upward call of God in Christ Jesus and the way we have to go? So listen, I don't care who you think you are. I don't care if you think you've arrived. Listen, as we journey forth in this passage, this is for all of us. No one is perfect. No one has fully arrived. As long as we are on this side of eternity, there is work to be done, amen? Amen. And so that means that in verse 16, this applies for us all. If you look there now, verse 16, Paul writes this. He says, nevertheless, let us, that's all of us, live up to the standard that we have already attained. So this is, our, this is the call on our lives this morning, church. As followers of Jesus, we are called to forget what lies behind and press forward toward what lies ahead and to live up to this standard that we have already attained. But what, listen, what is this standard that we have already attained? Well, I've already kind of alluded to it at the beginning of this teaching in that opening kind of illustration, and we're gonna see this later in verse 20, but the thing that we've already attained is our citizenship in the kingdom of heaven, and we are called to live up to it. And so if you've placed your faith and trust in Jesus, you have the documentation, you have the passport, you've got it all in hand with you right now, and Paul is calling us to live up to it and to live into this calling, okay? Now let me ask you all this question. How many of you have ever earned something or received something but never used that thing? I'll give you a moment to think about that. How many of you have ever earned something or received something but never used that thing? I I can think of an example in my life. Um, For for me, it happened this past summer. Uh, Carrie and I, we were getting ready to move our family across the entire country from Michigan to Washington, thousands of miles. And for the first time in 16 years of marriage, we decided to go through some boxes that we had been holding onto for a long, long time. We had moved from Chicago to Florida and Florida to North Carolina and North Carolina to Michigan. And so we had a lot of stuff over that time that we had not gone through that dated all the way back to the beginning of our marriage. And so we started going through some of these boxes from like the very beginning of our relationship. And you know what we found in some of those boxes? We found wedding gifts that we never, ever used, (laughs) right? Like we were opening up gift, we were opening up like cards from our wedding day with checks that were never cashed, (laughs) right? I worked at Starbucks back then, Carrie worked at TGI Fridays. We needed the money too, you know what I mean? Like we needed the money, those uncashed checks just lying there. We had to tear them up because we couldn't use them. We also had unused Walmart gift cards and Target gift cards, which we decided to go to the store and try them. They still worked, right? They still worked, right? But listen, we left so much cash on the table that we could have used. We had it in our hands. We had access to it. We could have put it in our bank accounts, but we didn't. We had to throw all of that away. Listen, I think this is what Paul is getting at here. Listen, I think this is true for all of us who say that we are followers of Jesus Christ, disciples of Jesus. We have been given things in Christ, The Holy Spirit has given us power. We have received the gift of the Holy Spirit. But instead of using those things, we neglect them. 
We push them off until we feel like we're ready to use them. We put them in a box and we forget about them. Let me ask you guys this question this morning. Are you living the life that you believe God himself has imagined for you? The life you're currently living right now, are you living the life that you believe God has imagined for you to live? Are you living a kind of life that you read about in the New Testament? Are you living the kind of life that you've heard about in the early church? Are you living that type of life or have you settled for like second best? Have you settled in and and you just believe, you know what, I'm gonna lead this second or third class citizen kind of life in the kingdom of heaven? Because I think again what Paul is getting at here is these sorts of things What being a citizen of the kingdom of heaven brings to the follower of Jesus Christ, these sorts of things can be had by anyone who belongs to Jesus. They can have by anyone in this room. We just need to live into it and up to the standard that we've already attained. But again, what is Paul referring to? What is Paul talking about? What have we already attained? Well, look at verse 20. Look at verse 20. Paul writes this. He says, our citizenship is in heaven and we also eagerly await a savior from there, the Lord Jesus Christ. So again, what Paul is saying here, the thing that we've obtained, church, is our citizenship. But what comes with that citizenship? Because there are certain rights and privileges that come with being a citizen of a kingdom. And I think in chapter three, we see three main things that if you are a follower of Jesus, you've got you've got as a citizen of, uh, of the kingdom of heaven. And one of those things is that we've attained intimacy. We've attained intimacy. Or put another way, we've attained a new access. In, in Philippians 3.8, Paul writes about the surpassing worth of knowing Jesus Christ. And so listen, we can experience intimacy with Jesus. We can know him. But Paul goes above and beyond this in his letter to the Ephesians in chapter two, verse 19. And he writes this, listen to this. This is really important. He says, so then we are no longer foreigners and non-citizens, but you are fellow citizens with the saints and members of God's household, okay? So listen, here's what this means. There is a certain level of intimacy that we have as citizens of the kingdom. Uh, We can speak to certain government officials when we're citizens of a country, but it's a whole separate thing when you are related to that government official, right? It's a whole different thing. And so we've attained this intimacy and this access in in the kingdom of heaven with our citizenship. Same thing is true with the second thing. We've attained holiness. We've attained holiness, or, or put another way, a new ethic. Paul writes in the very next verse in Philippians chapter 3, verse 9, he says that we have a righteousness that comes by way of Christ's righteousness. And so listen, if you're a follower of Jesus, you've already been given this. You've been given a holiness and righteousness through the work of Jesus Christ. But listen, we are called to live up to and into that in our lives. When you become a citizen of a country, you adopt the ways of that country. You adopt the, the, uh, the culture and, 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 and all, all that comes along with that country. And not only that, when you leave that country and go into a different country, you represent that country. 
Paul actually goes above and beyond and he expands on this as well in his letter to the Corinthians, his second letter, in 2 Corinthians 5.20, that we're not just citizens, but we are also ambassadors. We're also ambassadors. He writes this, Therefore, we are ambassadors for Christ as though God were making his plea through us. And so an ambassador represents a country in a whole different way than a citizen does, right? Like when an ambassador speaks, it's as as if that country itself is speaking on his behalf, right? There's a whole separate level there. And so in this way, we have attained a whole new way of living, a whole new ethic, a whole new holiness as citizens of the kingdom of heaven. And so listen, we have attained an intimacy We have attained a holiness, and not just that, we've attained a power. We've attained a new power or a new authority. In Philippians 3.10, Paul writes about experiencing the power of Jesus' resurrection. And this is the power and authority that has been granted to us through Jesus, the same power that created this world, the same power that raised Jesus from the dead is the same power that is coursing through your veins if you're a citizen of the kingdom of heaven. Do you believe that? It's true. It's absolutely true. As a citizen of a country, listen, we have certain rights and access to a, to a government power and protections. But if we go even further and we're participating in that government, as we, many of us probably did this past Tuesday, we can vote. Uh, we can run for office. We have access. We have authority. We have power. And the same is true for us as citizens of the kingdom of heaven here on earth. These are three important things that we have attained as citizens of the kingdom of heaven. Intimacy, holiness, power. When we become a citizen, we have access to a new place, to new resources, and because of our heavenly citizenship, we have these things, intimacy, holiness, power. The big question is this, are you going to live up to and into it? It's up to you. Are you going to live up to and into it? What Paul writes in verse 16, nevertheless, let us live up to the standard that we have already attained. You are now a child of God. You are now a citizen of the kingdom of heaven and you've received the Holy Spirit of power into your life. Maybe put a different way, what are you going to do about it? What are you gonna do about that access? What are you gonna do about that citizenship? I think a question that might be going through your mind right now though is like, how? How do I do that? I want to live into that access. I want to live into that citizenship. I want to take hold of that holiness. I want to take a hold of that intimacy with God. Don't you crave, doesn't your heart, doesn't your soul crave intimacy with God? I want to take hold of that power that God has on offer to me. How do I do it? How do I live out what I see in the New Testament? How do I live out what I see in the life and writings of Paul? and John, and the early church. I've been reading a lot about like early church mothers and fathers who, who led the way of the church and how they would go away for hours, they'd go away for days, and they would come back with this weight of how awesome and how beautiful Jesus is, weeping, living for that. How do we go after that? How do we go after that more in our lives? How do we live the life that God has imagined for us? How do we live that out? Paul writes this, he writes this in verse 17. 
It's actually quite simple. He says this, be imitators of me, brothers and sisters. Be imitators of me and watch carefully those who are living this way, just as you have us as an example. For many live about whom I have often told you and now with tears I tell you that are enemies of the cross of Christ. And so how does Paul call us to live into our citizenship of heaven? He says, imitate me. Imitate me and imitate those who are like me. Do what I do. Think how I think. Talk how I talk. Live how I live. Listen, the success of our heavenly citizenship hinges on the role models we replicate. The success of our heavenly citizenship hinges on the role models we replicate. I grew up um, outside Chicago in a suburb about 20 or 25 minutes outside um, the uh, suburb, uh, outside of Chicago, and uh, grew up in a pretty diverse area. Like on our street alone, we had Polish families, and we had Ukrainian families, and um, we had an Italian family, we had this Greek family, and across the street, some of my closest friends, they were from Pakistan. And they had just moved uh, to the United States from Pakistan around the time we moved into the house in the late 80s. And and one of the things that became really evident early on as we were living there um, was they were watching us. And not in some kind of weird, creepy way, okay? But like in a way where they were trying to understand how to live and be as Americans. And here's how we saw this play out. Anytime my dad would go out to mow the lawn or water the lawn or rake the leaves or shovel the snow, their dad would come out and he would mow the lawn or rake the leaves or or shovel the snow at the same time. And anytime my mom would go out for a walk or take us kids to the park, their mother, her name was Ruby, she was the sweetest woman, she would take her kids over to the park or she would go out for a walk. When we put a basketball hoop up in our yard, They put a basketball hoop up in their yard. And they were a really close family to us right there across the street. But why did they do these things? Why did they mimic and replicate our behavior? Listen, because they were trying to learn what it meant to be in that moment, in that context, an American citizen. That's what they were trying to understand. Not like how to do it like in the books or formally or whatever, but like observing in real world. Back then, there was no Google, right? In the late 80s, you couldn't Google how to do that. The next best thing you had was your front window and watching and observing and mimicking and replicating, imitating in the same way. Listen, we are being commanded by Paul to observe other followers of Jesus, to watch them and to imitate them. Be imitators of me. In the Greek, this verb is an imperative verb. It is a command on our lives to imitate those ahead of us and above us and beyond us in our walks with Jesus, in our citizenship in heaven, so that we too would walk in a manner worthy of our calling in Jesus Christ, that we would continue to forget what lies behind and press on toward what lies forward, and we would live the lives that God has imagined for us as we watch other believers go before us. But now a few ways to do this practically, okay? Let's get really practical here. How do, we, how do we imitate other believers? How do we follow other believers? Here are a couple practical ways. Here's one. Read a biography. That might come out of left field. You might be like, what are you talking about? Read a biography. Here's what I mean specifically. Find a biography about a great follower of Jesus Christ. 
I can't tell you, uh, this has probably been one of the most important things in my life is finding a biography about a powerful follower of Jesus Christ and being inspired by their example and their life and following it and imitating it and having it like stoke the fire in my heart to follow after Jesus. A few of my favorites are The Hiding Place by Corey Ten Boom a story about her, uh, Corey's family in the face of like Nazi oppression and the faith that they displayed during World War II. It's an incredible story. I read that in college. It was so powerful. Another important one that I've read is uh, Burning in My Bones uh, about Eugene Peterson, an iconic pastor who faithfully followed and served Jesus his entire life and and probably the most powerful one recently for me has been this biography becoming Dallas Willard and Dallas Willard is one of the most important Christian thinkers and philosophers he was a philosopher at USC for multiple decades and he really unpacks and explains in a lot of his writings what it means to be a follower of Jesus Christ not just in the late 20th century but I think even more now than ever before his writings are so important in the 21st century but it all came from his life and a life faithfully lived in obedience as a disciple of Jesus Christ. So go to Google after this service and just like type in like powerful Christian biography or Christian biography and just like, d- like dive in and, and find one that inspires you and, and buy it or go to your library and check it out or, or download Audible if you don't like reading books and listen to it and get inspired, read a biography. Another one here, join a group. Join a group. Here at Arbor, we have groups. They're so important. And if this is gonna be on your list, listen, you have to wait till January when the next trimester opens up. But listen, being a part of, of, of a group with other followers of Jesus is not just important for your walk with Jesus and your citizenship in heaven. Listen, it's, it's essential. It's essential. You will not be a thriving citizen in the kingdom of heaven if you are not in regular, intimate fellowship with other believers who know you and you can follow and copy and mimic and watch and imitate. You just won't grow. You won't, like you'll be loved and, 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 and you'll, be, you'll, you'll be a part of the family, but if you wanna be a thriving uh, citizen of the kingdom of heaven, um, you need to be involved in some type of group, some type of fellowship with other believers. And so listen, I've got a group that meets on Wednesdays. We have two more groups uh, meetings uh, Wednesday morning at 7 a.m. And so like if you just want to crash it, you know, these next couple weeks, just feel free to jump in and hang out. I think our women's groups are still meeting on Tuesday morning and Tuesday afternoon. Just jump in, say hi. You think the Kleins lead a group on Thursday evenings. And if they get mad at you for jumping in, just point to me, like blame Ryan, all right? One more thing, and this is going to sound very Sunday school answer, but read your Bible. Read your Bibles, okay? Again, like listen, and and read it with this intent. Go to the Gospels and read them over and over again and look at the life of Jesus and, and see how he lives as like the perfect citizen of the kingdom of heaven in the kingdom of earth. And, and, and observe it and do what he did. Go to, the, go to the, the Acts of the Apostles and see what the apostles did and how they lived and imitate them. Go all the way back to the Old Testament and read the book of Daniel and him and his friends and how they lived as the people of God uh, in the kingdom of heaven but in the kingdom of Babylon, right? We read our Bibles. Listen, these are just a few simple, practical ways that we can get ourselves around role models who were and are stellar citizens of the kingdom of heaven so that we would begin to imitate them and replicate them so that we too might be successful citizens of the kingdom of heaven here on earth. Because listen, 
If none of this sounds like appealing to you and this is just kind of missing you this morning, listen, the alternative is, an, is a disaster for your life. It absolutely is. Look at verse 19. Paul writes this, speaking of the enemies of the cross. He says, their end is destruction. Their God is the belly. They exult in their shame and they think about earthly things. That's some serious stuff right there. And Paul is writing that about the enemies of the cross. And when you hear that like title, enemies of the cross, who do you think about? Like maybe you think about like really angry atheists or like, like the church of Satan or something. You know what I mean? Like something really diabolical. But listen, what is an, who is the enemy of the cross? I think it's anyone who sees the things of this world, earthly things, comfort, success, status, power, money, anyone who sees those things as the prize, as ultimate, that's an enemy of the cross. And I think if we're honest with ourselves, all of us in different ways and phases and times and seasons have found ourselves aligning as enemies of the cross in our own lives, in our own allegiances. Instead of being allegiant to the things of the cross, like humility, unity, generosity, putting others' needs before ourselves. When we pursue the former, that way leads to destruction. And listen, church, we live in a world where guess what you have to do to pursue the way of destruction? What do you have to do? Absolutely nothing. Absolutely nothing. You simply have to live and breathe and exist in this culture and this way of life. And listen, this is something the people of God have been facing for thousands of years, since the very beginning. We're not facing anything new here, okay? This is the way it's always been, where all you have to do is stay in the natural flow of things and inevitably you will embrace what this world embraces, you will value what this world values, you will live as this world lives. And listen, if you do that, you will harvest what this world harvests. And that is chaos and that is destruction. That is the inevitable end of someone who aligns themselves as a citizen of the kingdom of this world. And so I'll boil this down and make this really simple for us as a church this morning. There are two ways, church. There are two kingdoms. There's the kingdom of this world and there is the kingdom of heaven, okay? And as followers of Jesus Christ, you have been given a precious, incredible gift, access to the kingdom of heaven. The big question that you have to ask yourself is which kingdom am I living for? Which kingdom are you living for? When you look at the pattern and the habits and the way of your life, at the behaviors of your life, when you look at the goal of your life, what you're living for and what your aim is, when you look at what you prize, which kingdom does it communicate that you're living for? Are you living for the kingdom of this world? Or are you living for the kingdom of heaven? Which kingdom am I living for. Again, if, if, if you're a follower of Jesus, you've been given an incredible gift of citizenship into the kingdom of heaven. Paul writes in verse 20, he says, our citizenship is in heaven. 
And we also eagerly await a savior from there, the Lord Jesus Christ, who will transform these humble bodies of ours into the likeness of his glorious body by means of that power by which he is able to subject all things to himself. That is the end that we can look forward to as followers of Jesus. Not one of chaos and destruction, uh, not one of hopelessness and futility, not some sort of joyless future, uh, but this is a future that we can eagerly look forward to. It's, it's a future that can infuse our present with deep, resilient joy. That's what it is. You know, um, before coming here to Arbor, the previous church that I was at was back in Michigan. It was this small little Baptist church in a town called Muskegon uh, in this kind of lower middle income neighborhood and it had about 40, 50 members and a majority of these members were over the age of 65. A lot of them were 70, 75, 80 years old. It was wonderful. It was wonderful. And one thing that was really apparent in their lives as you spent time with them, and I spent time with so many of them, as you spent time with them in conversation, it was really clear at that stage in their lives, which kingdom they had spent their life living for. Some of them, um, man, they, they just, some of them had nothing. They had a car that barely functioned. They had like a shabby old house. And like with their remnant of their social security check, they were able to get groceries and gas in their car and maybe they were able to like afford to go like to the matinee, you know, in the middle of the week. But what was so obvious about some of these people that I would spend time with is that they had this deep, pervasive, impenetrable joy in their lives because they had spent decades living for the kingdom of heaven and not this world. Their joy did not hinge on their health, which was failing. It didn't hinge on their status, they had none. It didn't hinge on their possessions. They, they barely had anything. The joy that they had, man, it was, it was empowered by this deep personal knowledge of who their God was, the goodness of God and his love for them and the kingdom of heaven. It was powered, listen, in the end of their life by decades and decades of living for the kingdom of heaven. And the sad thing was I spent time with a few people where you could tell they had been living for the kingdom of this world for decades. And they were sad and they were embittered. They were quick to anger. They were frustrated. They always saw the worst in things. And so I'll ask again, which kingdom are you living for? Are you living for the kingdom of this world? Are you living for your own kingdom, a kingdom marked by chaos, whose end is destruction, or are you living for the kingdom of heaven, a kingdom that's marked by peace, whose end is the glory of Jesus Christ? Listen, one of those leads to misery, another one leads to abundant, resilient joy. I can present all of this to you, but the choice is ultimately yours. Which kingdom are you going to live for? Let me pray. Father in heaven, we thank you for your word. We thank you, God, for the truth in it. We thank you that it cuts us deep in our hearts. It calls us out, but it calls us out not to shame us and guilt trip us. It calls us out, Lord, because you know what's best for us. 
God, you have our best interest in mind. And so, Lord, as we are confronted with this word this morning, God, Lord, I know that for many of us, myself included, it requires us to take an honest look at our heart and at our lives, at what we're living for, our goal, our aim. And so, Jesus, right now, I pray, God, that you would open our eyes to see what kingdom are we really living for? Are we living for the kingdom of this world? Are we living for our own kingdom? And God, maybe we are and and we're not even aware of it. We're just sort of subconsciously going along with the flow. Lord God, I pray that you would uh, stir us out of our stupor and wake us up to the reality, Lord, that you have something better on offer for us. If we have placed our faith and trust in you, Jesus, then by oath, Lord, we have entered into an agreement where we are now citizens of a new and better kingdom. God, would you open our eyes to the joy and the life and the freedom that is found in that kingdom and that we can start living that abundant life now here on earth in the kingdom of this world. God, that you call us not just to be citizens of that kingdom, but you call us to be ambassadors of that kingdom to everyone around us. God, I pray that as a church, we would start to live obediently into this and start to experience this abundant eternal life here now, God, that our lives would embody your prayer And we would see your kingdom come on earth as it is in heaven, God. We long for that. And Lord, if we don't, I pray that you would stir our hearts to want to long for that, God. Lord, forgive us for settling for cheaper things that we think will satisfy us, God. Open our hearts and open our eyes to the things that will more deeply satisfy us. The things of your kingdom. Help us to set our mind and our eyes on the things that are above, not on the things that are below. Would we look to others and mimic others and imitate others, Father God? Help us to take those steps of obedience today. Help us to be encouraged to do that this morning, Father. We pray this in your son's powerful name. Amen.